We're in Genesis 45 tonight. We've been studying the life of Joseph in our, in our search through this thing called the heart of a champion. A champion is not somebody who excels at sports and wins some kind of a trophy or an award. Those things are fine, and, and many times there's a great story of triumph behind those, but in the biblical sense, a champion is someone who faces adversity, who faces temptations and trials, and stays faithful to God, who grows, who becomes a testimony and an example through them. And I don't know anybody in the Bible better than Joseph who exemplifies the heart of a champion. We have learned several things about him in our walk through Genesis, uh, chapters 37 through 50. We learned, number one, that Joseph stayed holy in spite of being hurt. He didn't take the wrongs that others did to him as his license to sin. Well, so-and-so did me wrong, so I am entitled to, to backslide, or I am entitled to have a bad spirit. Joseph, he just stayed right. His brothers did wrong. Uh, he was forgotten and mistreated by other people, and yet he just stayed holy in spite of that. Number two, we saw that he lost his family. He lost his favored status, and he lost his freedom, but he never let go of his faith. That, that was priceless to him, and he refused to let that go. Number three, we learned that he protected his testimony at all costs. When Potiphar's wife tried to entice him on a constant basis uh, to sin with her, he said, God forbid that I should sin against God or against my master in doing this. He had no parents around. He had no pastor around to watch him, but his testimony was paramount to him. Number four, we learned that Joseph was a blessing to everyone in his life, although the truth is none of them deserved it. And some of the ones that he was the greatest blessing to it deserved it the least. But you read his story, everybody that his, his life touched was better for being around Joseph. Number five, we learned that Joseph always gave the credit to God. He was a talented man. He was a, a gifted man. Uh, he was greatly used and blessed of God, but he never developed a pride about him. Uh, when anybody pointed praise his way, he always said, no, it is not in me. It is in God. God, God will have the answer. This is all about God. Number, uh, whatever it is, I guess number six, um, we learned that um, uh, he, he allowed God to work in his life in such a way to help him forget the wrongs that have been done him in the past, and that made him fruitful in his presence. Uh, he named his sons, his first son he named um, uh, Manasseh and said, God hath made me to forget all of my toil and all of my father's house. He named his second son Ephraim and he said, God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He allowed God to do that rather than hanging on to all the thoughts and memories of everyone that had hurt or slighted him. Uh, number seven, we learned that he freely forgave those who had wronged him the most before they ever asked him to do so. He did not stand back and make those that had wronged him jump through hoops and beg him for forgiveness. He just offered it. We read the account of, of how he revealed himself to his brothers, and uh, they're, they're not asking him, oh, Joseph, we're so sorry for what we've done. Please forgive us. Um, he, he gave them the forgiveness before they ever asked. 
There's one last thing, and it's related to that last topic that we want to look at in Joseph's life, and it's something very important. And number eight on our list that we've been compiling, Joseph was consumed with restoration rather than revenge. He was consumed with restoration rather than revenge. Now, we, we need to just let that sink in for a moment. Human nature is such that when we are wronged, we strike out for revenge or some type of payback. Simple illustration, not a perfect one, but a simple one. You're outside and you get bitten by a mosquito. What do you do? You smack it. How many agree? Okay. Um, question, when you smack the mosquito, he dies if you're a good aim, but who else gets hurt? Who else gets hurt? You do. Especially if you hate mosquitoes as bad as I do, and I get mad at them uh, for doing what they do, I'll smack them and I'll have this big red mark on my arm instead of just this little tiny spot that the mosquito had. You see, when we lash out like that, we think we're hurting the, uh, the, the individual that hurt us, but in the process, when we're out for revenge, we're hurting ourselves. But it comes so easy, doesn't it? Keep your place in Genesis uh, 45. We'll be back there. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25. Now, I'm not saying that Joseph never entertained imaginations of revenge. We don't know all the details of his journey. We just know that when the moment came that he could have had it, and he had the power of Egypt behind him, um, it, it wasn't there at all. And when his, his brothers first, you know, got the word, hi, I'm Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. In their mind, you know, they were thinking we're all dead men. Joseph immediately said, don't, don't be grieved with yourselves. Don't be upset with yourselves. It was not you. This was, this was the work of God. And he wanted to put that idea out of their mind just like that. I'm not telling you this because I'm here to get even, he wanted them to know that God had a plan through all of it. But again, we don't know when it first happened, uh, if, if there was a part of them that wondered, you know, what he would do if he ever saw them again. We just know this, God made him forget all of that. And that was no longer a part of his being so that when the moment came, he had no desire to get revenge on those, those brothers. He wanted to see things restored. In 1 Samuel 25, we read a, a story, maybe familiar to many of you, uh, that went on in the life of David. It says in verse number two, there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. The man was very great. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance, but the man was churlish. That's a word we don't use. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard it used in, in common, uh, conversation. Uh, the word churlish means impossible to get along with. Have you ever met, have you ever met a churlish person? 
okay? Um, you know, if it's a lady, her name is Karen, uh, you know, that type of thing. But, but Charlie, uh, he, was a, he was just one of those guys, the Bible says, and evil in his doings. He'll be described elsewhere as a son of Belial or Satan, and he was of the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. David sent out 10 young men, and David said unto the young men, get you up to Carmel, go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. Now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds, which were with us, we hurt them not. Neither was there aught missing unto them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thy hand and to thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David and ceased. Now, David wasn't asking for a handout. David wasn't one of these guys that, thought, that, that uh, had the mentality, well, you've got money and I don't, don't, so you are obligated to give to me. We learn later on from Nabal's shearers and young men that David and his men served as guards for all of Nabal's possessions while they were out in the fields away from him. So they were awake all night long, protecting them against thieves, uh, against wolves, bears, lions, which were prominent in that part of the world at that time. And so David is coming say, uh, uh, to Nabal, and it's a legitimate request. We served you. It's now time for payday for us, and we're just here to get what is owed to us. Um, verse 10, Nabal answered David's servant, said, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed from my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? He's trying to pretend that he doesn't know anything about this, uh, that he doesn't owe David anything. So David's young men turned their way and went again and told him all those sayings. David is getting ripped off. David and his men have families that they have to feed while they are in exile. David and his men spent all of that season uh, taking care of uh, uh, Nabal's flocks and his, his, his servants, keeping them safe, standing guard, long nights and all types of weather and so forth. And, and he's been insulted by the man he worked for. Uh, he's being denied their pay in verse 13. David said unto his men, gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men, 200 abode by the stuff. David is not responding well to being ripped off. David is not responding well to being insulted. And he tells his men, we're going to war, guys. Get your sword on, and they are going to slaughter Nabal and his household. Revenge knows no normal limits. It, it, it's just like dropping a nuke uh, on, a, on a situation and just blowing up everything in its wake. Remember, David's a man after God's own heart. David in the wilderness is writing some of the Psalms that are contained in our Bible. 
Uh, David is a man who's been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel. But do you see how easily he fell into that revenge mode? You wronged me. You insulted me. I'm going to make you pay. So David and his men are on their way and David or Nabal's servants, they, they were watching this whole thing and they went to his wife uh, in verse 14. He said, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master and he railed on them. Uh, accusation and unkind words. But the men were very good unto us and we were not hurt. Neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by night and day. All the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he's such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Question here, did Nabal deserve revenge? Yes or no? Yeah. He was a beast. He was an, he was a, he was an evil man. He's a son of Belial. He's done David wrong. He's insulted him. Humanly speaking, he deserves whatever's coming his way. He doesn't deserve any kind of niceness or mercies. Well, we're, we're not going to read everything here. Abigail, in order to save her household, she got the servants in, kicked into high gear. And they just started getting all kinds of foodstuffs ready, uh, enough to feed David and his army and their families and loaded up animals and just started heading out in the direction from which David was coming. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on the ground and bowed herself, or uh, David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be, and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Uh, here's a man bent on revenge. You understand David and his men, as they are moving there, they're getting more mad as they go. When all of a sudden, this lady and her servants and all these animals laid it down with food come and this woman gets off her animal and she's on the ground bowing down before David. Um, it, it wasn't usual thing in that culture for men to listen to the counsel of women, sadly to say. Uh, but this woman had something good to say and to David's credit, he's gonna listen to her. Verse 25, let my, let my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. The name Nabal means fool. His parents kind of knew what they were doing when they named him. She said, but I thine handmaid saw not the young men of my Lord whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thine self with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. I actually have most of verse 26 highlighted in my Bible. Abigail is wisely telling him, David, if you'll listen to me, you will see that God has stopped you from taking vengeance. God's withholding you from shedding the blood of this, this man. And now this blessing, which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. Time out, did Abigail do anything wrong? 
No, but yet she's taking the blame. She's putting herself out there. Put it on me. She said, um, I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord. And evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee. She's talking about King Saul and to seek thy soul. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. The soul of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel that this, this situation right now shall be no grief unto thee, nor offensive heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. She is pointing out wisely to him, look carefully, David, David, if you smack that mosquito, you will get him. But one day you'll be king and that's going to come back to haunt you because you're going to smack the mosquito, but you're going to hurt yourself in the process. You'll have a blot on your name that you can't erase because you avenged yourself and you shed innocent blood because David wasn't just about to, to kill Nabal. They were, they were going after every, everybody that, that worked for Nabal. They were going after the whole enchilada. David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me, and blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. Did you notice how many times the word avenge or avenging is used in this passage? Now, if, if David, this man after God's own heart, was so quick to rise for vengeance, it stands to reason that at some points in our lives, we all struggle with that. Because as the Savior taught, it is impossible, but that offenses should come. We're all going to deal with it. And we're all going to have that initial reaction of smack the mosquito, go out for revenge. Joseph had the opportunity for that, but that wasn't a part of Joseph's life. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. I referenced this in the message this morning, Luke chapter 9. And look, please, if you would, in verse 51, it came to pass when the time was come that he, the Savior, Jesus, should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they, the village of the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. The Samaritans despised the Jewish people the Jewish people despised the Samaritans. They said, you're a bunch of Jewish men. You're not coming into our town. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? They were certainly jealous for the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not like him being uh, wronged in such a manner. But notice their first reaction was, let's get fire from heaven, let's burn them up. 
and they automatically assume that that's the way Jesus would feel about it. But he turned, verse 55, and rebuked them. He's correcting them. He's putting them in their place. He's, he's, he's really coming down on them. He said, ye know not manner, what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. He said, you don't even understand how bad your spirit is. It doesn't line up with mine. It doesn't line up with God's. I'm not here to destroy lives. I'm here to save them. Time would fail us tonight, but if you go to the book of Acts, after the death of Stephen, the saints in Jerusalem were scattered abroad, and one of the places that they went was Samaria, and they took the gospel to all of the villages of Samaria. It only stands to reason that this village was one of the ones they went to after the resurrection. And we know from the book of Acts that a lot of the Samaritans received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Do you realize if James and John would have gotten their way and that city would have been destroyed, every resident of that city would have not only died in that conflagration, they would have died and gone to hell. That wasn't God's plan at all. But the desire for revenge just came out there, and in their mind, it seemed like a righteous thing to do, but it was not. Please understand two things tonight. Number one, revenge is not God's will for us. Did you get that? Revenge is not God's will for us. Turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. Verse number 18. I have this highlighted in my Bible as well because it's a struggle sometimes. And it's, it's one of those things that we need to understand. Verse 18, here's a commandment of God. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. When Jesus was questioned in Matthew chapter 23, what is the first commandment, the most important? He quoted Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And then he said, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the verse Jesus is quoting as the second most important commandment. Would you understand the cons, the, 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 uh, the, the uh, I'm, I'm, what's the word, Rob? The context. You are no help, dude. He's not helping me because I made fun of him so bad in church this morning. In the context where that, that uh, verse is given, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, it's in the context of not avenging or holding a grudge. So, if I'm to love my neighbor as myself, that, that really applies to the one that wronged me the most. I'm not supposed to hold any grudge against that person. That's how I fulfill that command of loving my neighbor. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 5. It is not the will of God for you and I to seek revenge, to hold that grudge. It is not the will of God. James chapter 5. And look, if you would, please, in verse number nine. Grudge not one against another, uh, brethren, lest ye be condemned. 
Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Well, that's a powerful verse. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Let's go back to the story of David and Nabal. Was Nabal guilty? Absolutely. Did, on a human standpoint, did Nabal deserve to have vengeance exercised against him, yes or no? Absolutely did. But David already had a commandment from God in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He wasn't allowed to do that. No matter what Nabal was like, he was still one of the sons of Israel. The Bible says he was a descendant of Caleb. Um, so he, he, David was commanded by God not to have a grudge or avenge himself. But David was wanting to do all of that. And Abigail wisely warned him, if you do, you're going to get a blot on your life that when you're made king, and you will, this is going to be a grief of heart to you. Okay? Um, that's what the Bible's saying to us in the New Testament. We're not supposed to grudge one and against another lest we be condemned. Again, to smack the mosquito. Okay, I got the mosquito, but I inflicted harm on myself in the doing lest ye be condemned. Why would I be condemned? Because I'm sinning against God. Did you get that? Why would I be condemned? Because I'm sinning against God by holding the grudge, by seeking the revenge, because the Bible says I'm not supposed to do it. And that rubs us the wrong way, especially if we're in the situation where we've been wronged and we're upset about that. And maybe we've dwelt on that for a very, very long time. We've got to reconcile everything with the Bible for me to hold a grudge, for me to seek revenge. I'm sinning, I'm sinning against God. So here's my question. Why am I any more spiritual than the person I'm mad at? How am I a better Christian than the one who wronged me if I too am sinning against God? But James chapter five, verse nine ends with the truth that also applies. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Who do you suppose the judge is? Who do you suppose the judge is, church? Yeah, that's the Lord. We won't go back to 1 Samuel 25, but David listened to the advice of Abigail, and David turned around and went home, and, and uh, he, he didn't lift his hand against Nabal, and she went back home to her husband, and uh, you know he went about his day's business, and he came home that night, and so, uh, Abigail, how was your day? Well, I had an interesting day. I, I heard uh, what you did to that guy, David, and his servants and so forth. So I got a bunch of food together, a ton of it, and I went out and met him. Turns out he was on his way to slaughter us all. And, and I counseled him not to do that, to just trust in the Lord and to do the right thing. And David turned around and went away. And uh, he realized his wife had saved his bacon, pulled it out of the fire. Uh, he, he realized that uh, uh, she had taken of his food stuffs and, and, and repaid David that which was owed him. And the Bible says at that moment, his heart turned to stone. I don't know if he had a heart attack. I don't know if he had a stroke. I don't know what it was. And he lingered for several days, never, never recovered from that. And the Lord smote him and he died. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. In Romans, we're taught, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You see, David didn't have to swat that mosquito. God crushed that mosquito into the ground 
But David didn't have a wound on his own life and testimony because he let God take care of it. So number one, we got to understand revenge is not God's will for us. So if that is my motive, I am sinning against God and I'm the one that's not right with God. But, but understand this, restoration, that is God's will. Restoration, Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five. And if you're there, turn to Galatians six. And verse number one, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, he's, he's in the wrong. Somebody's doing wrong. Ye which are spiritual, talk about that man behind his back. Plot his demise and never let him off the hook. It'll be cool. Is that what the Bible says? By the way, what is it when you talk about somebody behind their back according to the Bible? What's it called? It's called backbiting. Good thing or bad thing according to the word of God? Bad thing. Let's read the verse the right way. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, what's the next word, church? Restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. How many here have been wronged by somebody? Okay. Question number two. How many here have ever wronged somebody? Okay. Isn't it amazing? All of our hands went up both times. But when we're wrong, they need to pay. They're the scum of the earth. They're not going to get away. Man, if I forgive them, then they're just getting away with, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we've done wrong, and what do we need, and what do we want? We want mercy. Am I right? We, we want to be forgiven. We want to be let off the hook. Um, we, we've got it all backwards. We've entirely got it backwards. If we're truly spiritual people, our desire is to restore that person, to help them get their walk with God back, but also to restore the fellowship with them. Turn, if you would, to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. This is the very heart of God. Ezekiel 34 and verse 16. We'll look at verse 15. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. The fat and the strong is referring to the proud and the arrogant, if you will. Notice that God's heart is, I'm going to go after that one that's lost and that one that is, has been broken and all of that, and I'm going to bring them back and I'm going to bind them and I'm going to strengthen them. That is the heart of God. In the, the, the wonderful parable of the prodigal son, when that, that young man came to himself in the far country, um, did he say, I will go home and reclaim my place as a son and just expect my father to let me come home? Is that his mindset? Yes or no? No, not at all. 
He's come to himself. He knows what he's done. He said, I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He saw himself worthy of nothing more than that. And so he began the trip home. And the Bible says when he was a great uh, way off, his father saw him. And what did his father do? Ran to him. His father didn't sit up in the porch with arms folded and said, Aha, uh-huh. I knew this day's coming. Only a matter of time before that little jerk came back. Yep. Yeah, and look at him. He smells like a pig pen. He looks like he's lived in one. Yep, I was right. I knew it was good. He did not do that. He didn't do that. He, he wasn't looking to see his son humiliated anymore. He just wanted his son back. And he ran to him, and his son started to get the words out. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And his father didn't want to even hear about this be my servant type thing. He commanded his servants, go get a robe, and let's get him out of these filthy rags and and, and put it on him. And bring forth a golden ring and put it on his finger. And let's kill the fatted calf and have a, a feast. For this my son was dead and is alive again. The father was all about restoring his relationship with his son. He didn't tell his son, okay, I'll let you come home and I'll I'll feed you and clothe you, but you're going to live in the barn. And and you're just going to go out every day with the servants. And and, and yeah, you just just go out there. I don't really care if I ever see you again. That, That wasn't it at all. That boy was home and it was a restored relationship. I want you to understand that's what Joseph had. Go back to Genesis 45. Genesis 45, verse 3, Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? That was, he just said, I'm Joseph. He didn't go any beyond that. He said, is dad still alive? Jacob was was a very old man by this time. He said, doth my father yet live? His brethren could not answer him for they were troubled at his presence and rightly so. He's got the power of Egypt behind him now and they know it. He can have them swept away like a bug. And they know they deserve it. And he knows they deserve it. They're in a bad place. Verse 4, and Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. Did you get that? Come near to me, I pray you. I've heard people make statements when they're going through a hard time and they've been wronged and they're, they're upset. Well, I, I can forgive, but I can't forget. That means you, didn't, you did not forgive. Well, I can forgive. I, I just never want to be close to them again. You're not in the spirit of restoration yet. Because restoration means you come near again. That means that that relationship gets fixed. And, and I understand easier said than done. I'm not minimizing anybody that's been hurt by somebody else. And, and, and I understand that in some cases, like, like with Nabal, David was never going to make things right with Nabal, but that wasn't, that wasn't on David's part after Abigail spoke to him. That was on Nabal's part. And I, I understand there are circumstances like that, but I'm, I'm talking about the, the kind of the everyday things that get us off kilter. And the devil puts wedges in amongst God's people. 
And sometimes we let those things fester and grow. And uh, we, we just say, I, I, I never want to be friends with them again. That's not restoration. Um, these 10 men, his older brothers, Benjamin's innocent. Those 10 men, they sold him as a slave. And they had treated him his entire life horribly up to that point. The Bible says they couldn't speak peaceably to him. They hated everything about him. Joseph lived 30 years of nightmare because of them. And his first words are, come near to me. Come, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. I'm not sure they ran. I'm not sure. When he said, come near to me, I, I sort of see Reuben, the oldest, they're all looking at him to see what he's going to do. I, I sort of see him, you know, baby steps, baby steps. He, he, he's maybe not sure because, you see, Joseph's of a spirit that they're not familiar with. They're of a, 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 a spirit of do, do your own thing and take matters into your own hands, and they've done so much wrong in, in their past and they came near and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. He's not denying the fact of this. He doesn't mention it to rub salt in their wound. He's not doing it to make them feel bad. If anything, he's only making mention of that to magnify the mercy that he wants him to have. Look at verse 5. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. Do you know that when I'm in a spirit where I want vengeance... When I've been hurt and I want payback, the person that I'm upset with will never be grieved enough to satisfy me. That's the way vengeance works. It's a poison. They'll, they'll never be sorry enough for what they did. Joseph didn't have that. I don't want you to be grieved nor angry with yourselves. Do you understand he's taking them off the hook? entirely they not only did him wrong joseph has to already assume that they went home and gave dad some huge lie to explain his his coat and all of that stuff he doesn't maybe know what it is yet but but he knows that that their sin went beyond just that one action that one night and they've lived the lie now uh for for the last uh, uh 22 years from the time he was 17, this happened when Joseph was, was 39. And then he goes on to say to them, that Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. See, God had a plan that none of us saw. God had a plan for my life. And God allowed me to go through some things, yes, at your hand. But God had a plan in that, and, and God overruled you. Later on in Genesis 50, verse 20, he'll say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save much life as it is this day. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. They didn't know about the dreams. They didn't know about any of this. He's letting them know. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance, so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Then he went on and said, uh, we're going to go meet Pharaoh. And I'm going to talk to Pharaoh. 
and I'm going to see that Pharaoh gives you the very best place in all of the land of Egypt to bring your families down, all of your flocks and herds, the land of Goshen. And he said, that's, that's where you're going to get to live. I'm giving you the very best place to live. Look, if you would, verse 16, the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. Could Joseph have swatted at that mosquito and squashed it, yes or no? Question, what good would it have done? He could have thrown his brothers in prison for the rest of their lives, except for Benjamin. And Benjamin would have gone home and said, yeah, Joseph's alive, and boy, was he mad at the other guys, and they're in prison, or, 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 or he's, he sent them off to work in the mines, or, or he's executed them, and, and all that kind of He could have had his revenge. He'd have broken his dad's heart. He'd have broken his little brother's heart. And he would have lived with his own grief, and all that anger would have still been there. But Joseph chose a higher path. Joseph wasn't about revenge. He was about, I want God to fix this. I want God to put this back together. And he got his brothers back. He got a relationship with his brothers that he never had. Did you hear that? They always hated him from this day forward. They loved him. And he got to love them. Um, it's, it's Leviticus 19:18. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He never had that before. He got his dad back. He got to meet all of his nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews. Seventy people in all came down there and they got to meet his family and, and so forth. Before it was all done, his brothers got high-paying jobs in Pharaoh's household, uh, overseeing all of Pharaoh's flocks and herds because they were so skillful at it. And Joseph was the one that got them all the best jobs uh, in that their profession had to offer. Do you realize that because Joseph had that spirit of restoration, everybody won, including God. Did you ever think about that? God won. What would Genesis be like if Joseph obeyed the instinct to seek and gain revenge when the moment arose? He would have had that dark blot in his life. Everything else we've admired about Joseph would be stained. And his story would be different. And the truth is, this is the part of the story that even the unsaved world marvels at. We've mentioned before, the story of Joseph was on Broadway for decades. And I don't think they portrayed it biblically right, but they portrayed this part of from everything that I've read and understood. Because even the world marvels at someone who has that kind of a spirit because Joseph changed his entire world because Joseph said, I don't want to have revenge on my brothers. I want my brothers back. And he got them. See, preacher, it's hard. It's impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. And I realize we can't make anybody get right with us. We can't do that. Um, we can have a desire to have a relationship stored, and that other person may not. But that's on them now. I'm free, not just free from being condemned by the judge at the door, but I'm free from that 
never-ending burden of anger, that, that weight of bitterness that just, just plagues my life and my heart, and that root of bitterness that spreads out and defiles everybody I come and come. I'm free from it, even if that other person isn't going to make things right. It, it's important that I have that kind of a heart. You say, where do you get that? You get it from God. Romans chapter 5 and we're done. Romans 5 and we're done. I know this is not an easy truth. I, I'm, I hope I'm not presenting it as such, but it is a vital one. It is not the will of God that we should live with a spirit and a desire for revenge. It is the will of God that we live for a desire of restoration. Romans chapter 5. The Bible says in verse number one, being, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. How many of you, when a problem comes along, you say, yes, it's gonna be a good day. Anybody like that? But Paul's looking through the eyes of faith, saying as believers, we glory in tribulations also. And here's why, knowing the tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience. I go through a trial and I learn to wait on the Lord and I see God deliver and now I've got that experience under my belt and the next tribulation comes along and I've got something to fall back on. Yeah, I've been through this before and God took care of me then and he'll do it for me now and so I'm not messed up like I was the first time around. And patience, experience, and experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Hope is the confident expectation of good because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So how do I, how do I go from my normal desire for revenge? I struggle with it as, as much as anybody in this room. And change that, that my desire is no longer that, I just want to see restoration. And I no longer have the anger that goes along with revenge and the, the bitterness and the heaviness with that. I, I, I've got a lightened load. All I want to see is God put things back and that, that's my heart's desire. How do I go from that? Through the Holy Ghost. He lives inside of me. I yield to him. Lord, I need your help on this one. Lord, I need to be able to love them the way you do. Lord, I've got Joseph's example for that. I know you can do it. God made him forget. God made him fruitful. Can God do that for you and I, yes or no? Yes. The question is, do we want that? Do we want that? If you and I live and we, we hold on to that spirit of revenge... It will not be long until we're completely out of the will of God. Because you can't stay wrong with God and stay in his will. You're already veering. It might be slight, and you, you and I might justify our desire for revenge, but we're walking away from God because we're disobeying him. We need, to, we, we need to just stop that dead in his tracks and say, Lord, I need the love of God shed abroad in my heart 
by your Holy Spirit. Joseph was a remarkable man. I read his story at least once a year. Sometimes I read his story once a month. Sometimes I read it whether it's in my daily devotions or daily schedule or not. I just go back and I just read it because there's so much about Joseph's life and testimony that I realize, man, I got a long way to go to get to where that guy was. He had no Bible. He had no church. He had no pastor. He had no Sunday school teacher. He had no youth department. Yet Joseph was a better Christian than most people I know. If God can do that for Joseph, and God can use him in his circumstances to see a plan unfold that the world marvels at, God can do it for us. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for this man, Joseph.